0: Hello, and welcome to episode six of Mo Money Mo Houses. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse, and today I'm really excited to interview my next guest. Um, Many of you may already know her if you're a big nerd and read personal finance blogs like I do, but her name is Bridget. She runs the blog Money After Graduation, and her blog's focus was a lot on obviously money after graduation. But what's interesting about her is she went to school, she worked a little bit, went back to school. And so we're going to be talking about school, student loans, and a career because similar to me, she went to school for one thing and is working in something completely different right now. Um, another thing we're going to talk about, which I'm really excited about, is investing because she was one of the few female investing bloggers. So I'm really excited to talk to her about that. So hey, Bridget, thanks so much for being part of the program. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. You're welcome. I'm, I'm excited too. You are uh, Honestly, you are one of the bloggers that I've, I think, kept up with your blog for the longest just because I think we started up around the same time, though I think you may have had a blog before that, but you've had your blog. I don't for, know.
1: We no. feel like the originals. So. Yeah, that's. I know.
0: I don't want to be, yeah, but yeah, that's what I feel like. It's like you were kind of there when I was there and it's kind of <laughs> cool to see your blog, you know progress over all these years so um let's kind of get into it um let's let's start kind of from the beginning because I know I was recently on your blog and you wrote this really great blog post about kind of your story and where like how you got interested in personal finance and growing up and all that kind of stuff so let's let's kind of start from the beginning with Bridget. (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know that I know the post you're referring yeah. to and I think uh I've mentioned before that it's something I'm just starting to share like my childhood experience with mm-hmm. money and how that's influenced my adult perspectives cuz for a long time I was really embarrassed because I grew up uh fairly poor, not like not on the streets or anything, but mm-hmm. my parents didn't have a lot of money Neither of them finished high school. They both had kind of low paying jobs, and our family really, really struggled mm-hmm. with money. And then my parents got divorced, and money became a huge thing in the divorce, too. So, as far back as I can remember, money was always a huge stress in my life. Like, I remember worrying about it when I was like nine years old. And doing calculations on like my loose leaf paper with a calculator, wow. worrying about that's money. Really when I was nine. Yeah, that's,
0: it, that's unusual.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, but it was just uh, that level. Of start. And I still like I didn't understand a lot of like where money came from or what. I just understood that things costed money, and we never really had enough of it. Mm-hmm. And we were always we were always short money, and that. Was really hard for me uh, growing up, but a lot of it is I didn't even realize that that was unusual until probably I was in my twenties. Oh
0: wow! Because
1: you you grow up and you're like, oh, we don't have a lot of money, but no one else does. Every family struggles with money. This is just the way things are. Mm-hmm. And then I got to university and I realized that a lot of the families and the lifestyles that I thought were rich growing up were actually just middle class Mm, and interesting it Mm. was yeah it was such a shocker and I like didn't understand that people got to go on vacations once a year to like Disneyland Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand that people had their educations paid for, like their parents mm-hmm. were paying their tuition, like none of it made sense to me. And I was just like, wow, well, you must be super rich. And I then still about, kind like- of
0: feel like that sometimes. It's <laughs> like, how do you afford <laughs> Disneyland once a year? Are you rich? But I'm just Yeah, cheap. <laughs> it's
1: true. It's true. And I was so like, I was so surprised. And then eventually I realized that they weren't rich. I was just a little bit poor growing <laughs> up. So, and so mm-hmm. what happened through then is I had to pay for my university education. I worked part-time as a server, and I, uh, I took out student loans, and that's how I ended up with my massive student loan debt that inspired the blog. Of course. So I graduated owing almost $21,000. Wow. I think it was $20,586 I owed, and I was working part-time at the Apple store. Making, Dang. I think, fifteen dollars an hour. It's a pretty good
0: and side it, job. I, I certainly yeah, did not it, make fifteen dollars hour when I was working
1: in <laughs> university. But that's
0: oh awesome. yeah, that's
1: the other thing I should point out is I'm from Alberta, <laughs> and everyone jokes like in Alberta that streets are paved in gold and money just <laughs> falls from the sky, which is true. We do have really uh, high wages here. Even the minimum wages are high. Uh, mm-hmm. There's lots of jobs to be had. And then there's lower taxes, so you do have a lot of advantages of mm-hmm. being in Alberta. So even though my situation was hard, I understand it probably wasn't as hard as other graduates or students experienced in other provinces.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, you graduated with uh, like twenty thousand dollars in debt, but did you? Was it a hard time for you to find a job after graduation, or?
1: Uh, Yeah, it was actually horribly hard. Uh, (laughs) This was a wake-up call to me. So I finished a bachelor of science degree in chemistry, Mm -hmm. and I loved chemistry. Uh, I love science, but much to my dismay, no one wanted a new chemist. They were just no jobs for chemists when I graduated. A few of my friends moved out east and they got jobs in uh, Toronto for things Mm -hmm. like paint companies. (laughs) But there was really nothing in Edmonton or in Alberta for me. And that was really hard that I felt that I had worked so hard and spent all this money on this degree so I could get a better job than Mm -hmm. my parents. And then there was nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually ended up doing one year of grad school in uh, a master's of science, oh, hoping really? that would make yeah, hoping that would make me more employable. Again, there was a little bit of a benefit uh, to that in Alberta because I was actually paid a stipend, which was enough to live on and have some extra money. So
0: mm-hmm. I did
1: that. I got one year into it, and I'm like. I can't do this. I hate working at a lab bench. Mm-hmm. What was I thinking? And I, I dropped out a year into my mm-hmm. master's.
0: You know, actually I know someone who similarly did that. She did a, I think it was a biology, um, undergrad. And then her kind of plan was to, I guess, be a biologist or whatever. Yeah. And so she did her master's, but I think she quit halfway through because she's like, uh, I do not like doing this. I thought yeah, I did, but I like, I like learning it, <laughs> but I don't actually like working in a lab, but.
1: Yeah, it's so different than what you learn in the textbook. Science is really hard. I have a great admiration for people that make it through Mm -hmm. and actually do research because it is like a mentally and emotionally challenging job.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what happened after that?
1: uh, I actually ended up getting a job at the university that I've been working at. And so I ended up in the Faculty of Engineering because – they needed a girl (laughs) that (laughs) would promote uh, science and engineering. So I ended up in recruitment and it was such a fantastic job. I loved everything about it. I loved like getting women interested in science and engineering. I loved working uh, with the undergrads and it was an awesome job. I think my starting salary was $50,000 and I had like a crazy pension, full benefits. Oh and I only worked 35 hours a week. Wow. And then the summers were pretty slow. Yeah. It was like a dream that job. That is like and a I, dream job
0: for a new grad, for sure. For sure. <laughs> it was.
1: It was the most amazing job. I loved every minute of it. I actually managed to pay off my whole student loan
0: Oh wow! Uh,
1: while I was in that job. So the $20,000 was gone in, in two years uh, at that job. And then I was like, well, cool. I have a great job. I'm totally out of debt. I've saved some money. I've Mm -hmm. traveled. A little bit, I'm
0: going to quit. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> when everything's working out, you make it more chaotic, of course. Yeah.
1: And so, because what had actually happened is during that time, I had started Money After Graduation, the blog. Mm-hmm. And I know I was reading yours all the time. And we were like the little group of Canadian female personal yeah. finance bloggers. And I think I even met you as well. That I one- still, yeah,
0: I remember you came to Vancouver and we all, the Vancouver personal finance bloggers, all met up with you. Right, because that was the other
1: perk of my job is I had to go to Vancouver twice a year. Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) They always flew me out there. So I was in Vancouver and I met you. And so I'm writing this blog and I'm getting so into money and finance, like so into it, as I think all of us did, that we're blogging. And I started uh, investing in the stock market and that was like the most exciting thing for me. Mm -hmm. I just loved it. Like I could not get enough of this. And so I had this epiphany that I was totally in the wrong career and I needed to go into business. I wanted to work in investment banking and trade stocks for a living because I loved it that much. Wow! And so I decided to go back to school for an MBA in finance. And I wrote the GMAT, applied to a bunch of schools or across Canada. I got in everywhere, so I kind of had my choice, but I ended up staying in Alberta, and I went to the University of Calgary for my MBA in finance, which I've just finished (gasps) as of last week. Oh,
0: my God. (laughs) That's awesome. Congratulations.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Two years later, I just wrote my last exam on May 6th. So (laughs) I am all finished.
0: And I passed.
1: So it's all good. I'm a newly minted MBA in finance.
0: And it's, I I just love that your blog is called Money After Graduation because you graduated several times. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah. I keep graduating. Just keep graduating. Yeah that was the thing too i'm like 2 years after i'm like am i still relevant i'm way out of school and I, you know what i just got another degree going i
0: graduated
1: again. yeah <laughs> i can keep writing as long as i keep getting degrees yeah so that's kind of the story of money and how the blog came about and how i ended up where i am
0: yeah now. so when you were doing your mba were you also working or were you just in school full time
1: I was in school full time for the first year. So this is actually one of the aspects that made me choose the program at Calgary. I really loved it that your first year is like normal classes, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. or whatever, Monday to Friday. But in your second year, your classes are in the evening. So you can actually work. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was really that was really awesome. So I just like went in. I did the first year, and the site was actually making some money, and I had a few like freelance uh, projects to keep me afloat. Mm-hmm. I also got a huge entrance scholarship to Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I should mention that as also well. like my first year was like super cushy, and mm-hmm. it was awesome. And I just focused on school and went. And then the second year, I actually did work full time oh, through wow. it while taking classes in the evening, which uh, was hell.
0: Yeah, that was sounds hell. awful. Because <laughs> yeah. like the only thing I to compare to is I did a digital marketing certificate program at U of T, and right, it was just like one course a semester, and it was literally like one four hour class every Tuesday, and I was like exhausted.
1: <laughs> but you know, that's the worst. Like the yeah. last thing you want to do after a full day of work is go to school. Yeah, and so I had two classes per week, and then I also. U of C has these crazy things called block week classes where you complete an entire course in five or six days at oh the start God. of the semester. That's <laughs> and intense. so Yeah, so I would take those. So I actually would take either unpaid leave or vacation time from my job oh my the first God. week of the semester, pound out a class, and then… Go back to full time work and night classes. Yeah. No, like the last year I almost died. It was the hardest. You
0: need a I've vacation, I think. <laughs> a long one. <laughs>
1: it's true. Yeah. No. So it it was rough. So but I do appreciate that I was able to work through the degree and mm. Like I did choose an affordable school and there was scholarships, so that made it uh considerably easier to manage my finances. And also I cared about finances this time around. Like when I did my undergrad, I just like got money and spent it. Exactly. But this time I was like careful, yeah. everything turned out all right and we all survived.
0: <laughs> yeah. So was the job that you were doing full time while doing your second year of your MBA like your Your real job right now, or
1: it is, yeah. So, well, in the summer, I completed a four-month internship at a not-for-profit, and then Mm -hmm. after that ended, I got a job at a really cool small firm. Because, of course, I had another one of those those epiphanies where I wanted to change my whole life on a whim. (laughs) So, when I was in one of those horrible block week classes that were uh, five days, the first week of September. And at this time, the MBA in finance was already like starting to burn me out. I learned finance was hyper competitive Mm -hmm. and crazy. Like all my classmates are going to be stupid rich, but it's (laughs) so competitive. It's like you either get promoted or get fired every three years.
0: Sounds
1: awful. And yeah, the atmosphere is just (laughs) stressful. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I like if I want to banking this is really scary, like I'm terrified and so I took a Block Week class in what was called technology commercialization and every morning the professor would lecture and then every afternoon we would have guest speakers that were venture capitalists and entrepreneurs from Calgary. Mm-hmm. And these people would come in and they would tell these crazy stories of like, oh yeah, I built up this company from scratch and then I sold it for $10 million. And it was so fun. I decided to go do it with another company. And I was sitting at my desk and I'm like, this is, how is this a job? Like, yeah. This is amazing. And it was so interesting and so cool. I just like decided right there. I'm like, I, this is what I'm going to do. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. And mm-hmm. I have no millions. I have no idea how to run a company, but
0: Not I decided. Yet. <laughs> Not yet. You're young yet. So
1: I, I decided that that was the job I wanted. And then like just sheer dumb luck or serendipity or whatever, this job appeared that was for a small technology commercialization firm in Calgary, mm-hmm. where we are a startup incubator and a consulting firm to new businesses. And so I applied there. I got hired, and I've been working there for seven months now. And mm-hmm. it's it's just awesome, because we do exactly that. We take in early-stage startups, we build them up, and then we sell them for <laughs> tens of millions of dollars. That's awesome. For yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Such and cool I also work, I also work as a consultant. So if entrepreneurs are trying to launch a new product, and because we get a lot of tech entrepreneurs in mm-hmm. Calgary, lots of engineers that have created great tech products, and they're not yeah, it's necessarily a pretty big
0: tech scene in Calgary, right? Huge. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's really easy to get to California, too. Everyone's always flying between here and San Francisco. So there's really close uh, ties with Silicon Valley and the whole startup scene there. Mm-hmm. And so they'll come in with a great tech idea that they need help with the business side and the marketing. And I'll do a lot of a, a lot of that for them. And so that's cool. what I do now.
0: That is so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like the real life dragon's den. That's how I describe it. That's everyone. awesome.
0: Well, that's this a pretty cool journey from that you wanted to be a chemist to now being a dragon. <laughs> I
1: know. It's weird, huh? You, yeah. Like you never know You never where know you're where you're end gonna end up.
0: up. I mean I went to film school. I tell people that all the time I'm like I thought I was going to be a filmmaker guys. I literally thought that was a job I know I, could do. <laughs> I know and
1: I can't believe that because I know I remember reading your blog and your whole journey and now it's in a totally different place.
0: Totally different. In, but... I'm literally in a like I'm literally in a different place. <laughs> I live in Toronto. Yeah, I right, work in, in digital marketing. Like who I could not have predicted this um five years ago that's for sure yeah oh gosh yeah um so kind of moving on i think that is so awesome and inspirational for people <laughs> especially for people that you know millennials that go to school thinking they don't want to do one thing and then get into the workforce and realize oh crap that's not at all what i thought it would be i want to do something else and lots of people get scared they feel like they should stick with whatever job they first get. they're terrified. Yeah, Yeah. because they're like, oh, maybe it's me. Maybe it's not, you know. And it, it is a scary leap of faith to, like, go back to school or just try a totally different career path. But I think ultimately, and I, like... I swear by this, if you're unhappy at your job, you're going to be unhappy in your life. So you just, you can't it's waste true. that time. true.
1: And you can't be afraid. I used to have that all the time at the Faculty of Engineering. These kids were flunking out of engineering and they'd be crying in my office oh. that their life was over. And I'm like, this is just one job. Like, I know.
0: Just- you were just at the beginning, guys. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's you worse. can do anything. You're 19. <laughs> yeah. Nothing has happened to you
0: yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um But yeah, so I think... That's super awesome, but I think one of the other really cool things that you talk about on your blog that I don't—I just don't know any other female personal finance bloggers that are currently talking about this—is um, kind of investing and your experience with investing. Because I mean, for me, I—I'm all about like budgets and saving, but when it comes to yeah. investing, I'm still. A super noob, and I, I hate that I don't really know anything about investing. <laughs> I've read lots of books about investing, but it just does not sink in. So it's something that I think, I don't know, it kind of terr- terrifies me, and I'm sure it kind of scares a lot of other millennial women. Yeah. So exactly I think exactly what so you said cool. is
1: always what I hear. Yeah. Like, that's totally the voice of it. And I think what makes investing so scary is there isn't a guarantee
0: mm-hmm, when you make exactly.
1: a Budget or you save, like you're dealing with really distinct numbers. You know exactly what's going to happen. And with investing, you don't. There's still like this crazy chance that it will go either way, which is actually probably why I like it so much. Mm -hmm. Now that (laughs) I've recited my story in one place, I'm like, oh, no wonder this is my thing. Cause I'm like, let's just go and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And that's how I approached investing. But I remember like, I wanted to get into investing probably when I was like 22 or 23 years old Mm -hmm. and I was dating this guy at the time and I told him, I'm like, yeah, you know, like I'm getting interested in money. I think I should start investing. And he told me, you don't have enough money to invest. You need like $50,000 to get in the stock market. It's only for rich people. And I was like... Yeah, and I was like, oh, and I kind of was like taken aback, and I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have enough money, and so I actually didn't even start investing until I think I was 24 or 25, mm-hmm. and it took me a thousand dollars
0: to get it. Yeah, I, like honestly, like when I was just starting out too, I honestly thought you had to be like yeah. have at least 50k in the bank or something crazy, or at least ten thousand dollars to even consider like you know, opening up a like a mutual fund. Because yeah. I'm like, you have to have money. I don't know. So I, I don't have enough money to invest, but I'll I'll learn about it later. And then it's yeah, true. I didn't start doing it until a little, a little bit later in my twenties.
1: And I think that's what holds a lot of people back because there is this perception that rich people invest, therefore you have to be rich to invest. But it's actually the opposite. You have to invest in order to be rich. Mm-hmm. And so I do want all young people to know that you can get started in the stock market with as little as like a thousand bucks. As soon as you have that first thousand, you can go open a brokerage account and you can start investing. And as for demystifying it, like you do have to be comfortable with seeing your money go up and down. Mm-hmm. And some people don't have the stomach for that. And some people never will. Like if you need your, to put your money somewhere and always see it go up and any kind of dip makes you sick, you might not have the stomach. For the stock market. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Some people, they just don't want to take on that risk. But I think the average person can handle a few ups and downs because the rewards are so tremendous.
0: And I guess the key is also never invest money that you need, right? Like, yeah. that's just kind of a basic, it's like, if you need that money to pay rent, don't buy some stocks <laughs> with it. <laughs> and hope yeah, that it'll double in time your rents do.
1: 'Cause there's no get rich schemes either. Like sometimes people ask me that or they ask for like hot stock tips. <laughs> and I don't have them. Like there's no secrets. I prom- I've done all the work now. I have the MBA in finance and I can yeah. tell you there's no like secrets. Yeah. <laughs> the people that do get rich on their investments are either gambling recklessly or they know something or they have a strategy. Like I think to someone that doesn't understand the markets or understand investing, a lot of it looks like it's just chance, Mm -hmm. but it's not. There's a lot of strategies there. And a lot of those big wins, even if people were taking those big risks, they did something to hedge or protect their underside. So if it didn't work out, it wouldn't be a huge loss. And when you're a new investor, you don't necessarily know how to execute those kinds of strategies or you don't have the resources to protect yourself that way.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: that's like one of the reasons for early investors. I just suggest like index ETFs.
0: Yes, which is actually something that I want to get into because I I think most of the money I have that's invested is in mutual funds, but I actually just um, recorded a podcast episode with Barry Choi from uh, Money We Have. He's he's awesome. I met him. Yeah. He's all about um, index funds. And so we talked about that and then, yeah. Afterwards, he's like, "I will give you this book that will explain everything." I'm like, "I think I'm gonna do this now." You <laughs> sold, you yeah. sold me real hard. I'm like, "I'm gonna do it now. I'm gonna take all my money out and put it in this." Awesome. Well, if you've tried mutual
1: funds, you're already kind of accustomed to yeah. seeing the balance change every day. Yeah, and honestly, that's the hardest part. Once you get past that, you're you're ready. And in index ETFs, aren't gonna bite. Nothing. Yeah, it's gonna happen.
0: Yeah. this seems pretty simple like it's not over complicated i think the thing with the stock market and all that stuff that like especially for someone like me it it still sounds a bit scary because it does seem like it's higher risk but i guess when before you invest anything that's when you kind of look at you know and there's a bunch of charts like online it's like what is your comfort level with risk (laughs) conservative
1: and there are stocks that are less riskier than others for example the company I think I ever bought was General Electric. Mm-hmm. And I bought their stock at $19 a share. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I think I actually Googled something like safest stock to buy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <And> you <laughs> And General Electric will came will come up, and so I was like, "Cool, that's it." And I dumped my thousand dollars in that. And like now, when I look in it, I'm like, "Oh, obviously, General Electric is a blue chip dividend stock. It's been around for over a hundred years. It's never missed a dividend payment. It's so diversified. When you buy General Electric, it's like you're buying an ETF or a mutual fund because they have." Uh, business in every industry so it's a really well diversified super safe company that pays you a steady dividend like it's it's a great stock and so but I didn't know that when I started I just googled super safe stocks and (laughs) that was it and but now like looking at it I'm like wow I that was a great pick that was that was awesome and so it worked out well so there are stocks out there that are quite safe Mm -hmm. and then there's other ones that are, that are not. But you can invest directly in companies and stocks and still see the kind of safety and returns that you do in a mutual fund or ETF or even better without putting your money at more risk.
0: So I guess what you need to do before starting anything is do your research. So where would you, what direction would you point people that are kind of interested in going this way to start like uh, research?
1: Well, the first place is going to be my site. Of course.
0: Plug. <laughs>
1: that's, that's actually what... I- I'm I'm working on now is uh, developing resources to kind of demystify the stock market for young people that are looking to get into investing. And I do have quite a few posts on it. And I'm looking at putting it together more coherently in an e-course uh, that I'm hoping to launch maybe next month.
0: Awesome.
1: But that's going to have the resources to really help you out. And then this other places you can go is honestly to just take out a book Mm -hmm. on investing. There's some really great ones out there. I love the Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. That was one of the best ones that I've read. And then also, it's just getting familiar with the market by visiting sites like Yahoo Finance and mm-hmm. Investopedia,
0: and just like create that habit and make it part of your day to keep on top. Yeah, of Yeah, and
1: it totally depends like how into it you want to get. Like one of the things I always suggest people do is just create a fake stock portfolio, mm-hmm. and you can do this on any of those sites like Market Watch or whatever. You can just add stocks to your watch list mm-hmm. and just watch them. For like three months or six months. Like I created this for a year before I got in the stock market. Really? And I just watched a portfolio of fake money for a whole (laughs) year. And that kind of gives you an idea of what will happen. Like it doesn't feel the same as real money. You'll treat your real money totally different. Mm -hmm. But at least you get used to seeing you're like, which of these did really good? Which of these did really bad. Okay. Why? And you can take a look at it and there's no risk in that because it's just pretend. And that's one of the best
0: That's a great starting point. the stock great. market. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. Well, I think we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, thank you so much for being on the program. I feel like I know so much more about you and <laughs> investing. I'm kind of excited. I'm going to look at all of those spreadsheets that you have on uh, your <laughs> oh, yeah, right so right now. I'm so curious because I also kind of just love looking at how other people budget or just like organize their money. Cause I know everyone has their own different way. You know, it's personal finance because it's personal. I know I probably do it way different than other people. So I'm kind of excited to see what you Yeah, got. I think
1: mine get pretty technical compared <laughs> to some other
0: ones out there. Yeah, fair enough. You've, I think you've earned that right with a financial <laughs> MBA. You could do what you want. Um, Okay, awesome. Well, everyone, if you want to check out Bridget's blog, make sure you do. It's moneyaftergraduation.com. And she's also on Twitter. And shes I love your tweets, by the way. I think (laughs) you're really great. (laughs) Money After Grad. Um, Yeah, so thanks so much for listening, everybody. And tune in next Wednesday for another episode.